You may have noticed that we had a solo in the program that wasn't sung. Molly's not feeling well today, so we won't hear her solo. But instead, we're going to have a great choir of greeting, singing to one another. You'll hear the music. Let's stand and find somebody nearby. Maybe you haven't been able to greet for a while, or maybe it's somebody new. But let's take a few moments and greet those who are around about us. Please don't let anyone be ungreeted. When I come back here, please come back where you are. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's return to our seats, if you will, please. Now, wasn't that pretty music? Could you hear that? It sounded great. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer now, and then we'll look to his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the excitement that we have, even at this very moment, the excitement to know that we're permitted by you, encouraged by you, even commanded by you to spend time in your word. We get to do it right now. We get to see the exciting story of Christmas. So thank you for that, and thank you for all that you're going to show us about your glory now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to John chapter 1. I'd like to read 14 very familiar verses from John chapter 1. Verses that tell us really what Christmas is all about. It's not considered part of the Christmas story. If somebody were to ask you where are the Gospels that tell us about Jesus' birth, they would tell you Matthew and Luke. But this account in John tells us the real reason why Christmas happened. It doesn't give us the details, but why Christmas happened. John chapter 1, and I'd like to read verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's very, very important. Logos, the Word, from the very beginning... Excuse me, it tells us the Word was with God, but not only that, the Word was God. So whatever this Word is here, we're told was God. And then it turns the pronoun, He was in the beginning with God. So Logos is more than a thought, an idea, a philosophy. It is a personality. He was in the beginning with God. Not only that, he assumes the same attributes, shows the same power as God the Father. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word, and this is so, so significant, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Martin DeHaan, among other things, the devotional writer, wrote this. He said, after the Apollo 15 mission, Colonel James Irwin related some of the high points of his experience. He told of their weightless bodies floating free in the space capsule, the rising crescent of the earth as seen from the moon, and the triumphal splashdown before a watching world. Irwin also spoke of the impact the experience had on his spiritual life. He said that from the lunar surface, he sensed both the glory of God and the plight of earthbound man. As he came back to earth, he realized he couldn't content himself with being merely a celebrity. He would have to be a servant, telling his fellow man of a better way to live. Now, there's a little formula there. There's a little formula. We were talking about it last week. When somebody comes to see the glory of God, someone is displayed by that that glory that God gives to us. The formula is this. Be shown to become aware of God's glory, then go tell it everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. That's what James Irwin concluded. I can't see this glory and simply content myself that I'm going to be a celebrity from now on. I actually walked on the moon and people are going to know me for that. He didn't want to be known for that. He wanted to be known for somebody who was able to sense in all of that the glory of God and at the same time the plight of earthbound man. He concluded by saying that if we think it's a great event to go to the moon, how much greater is the wonder that God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ? Because man walked on the moon, science and technology have made tremendous advances. But because God walked on earth, we know both our origin and our destiny. We know where we came from, and we know where we're headed. We can know our Creator personally. You'll notice back in verse 1, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The personal nature is seen in verse 14, that same Word, that same Word that was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to live here. The Greek word there means to tabernacle among us. He came here to live a perfect life just so that he could die a horrible death. That's what the Lord Jesus did for us in a very personal way. But notice something else. We stopped our reading at verse 14, but look ahead to verse 18. No one has ever seen God. You'll notice there's a fairly strong punctuation after that, the semicolon. No one has ever seen God. Then it goes on to a second thought here. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. The other God. That other God here is the Word. It is Jesus. The only God who is at the Father's side, He made God the Father known 
to us. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about God becoming a human being and coming here to this particular planet. And Dihan completes his devotional by saying, through Jesus' sinless life and sacrificial death, we can know the joy of having our sins forgiven and experience the fullness of an abundant life, all because God walked on the earth. Well, we're picking up where we left off from last Sunday morning. We're looking at God's glory. What exactly is the glory of Christmas? We looked at Luke chapter 2, verse 9 last week, when the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. Remember, the angel came and then was joined by a heavenly host of angels. And at that particular point, the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. We mentioned Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when the angel said, Glory to God in the highest. It's not the glory of the Lord. Now it's glory to God. It's being able to display, to demonstrate, to point to the glory of God. That's what everybody does who means business with the Lord. Once they are aware of His glory, they can't keep it to themselves. It's made for sharing. We also looked at Luke chapter 2, verse 20. And there we saw the shepherds went back to their sheep. And what were they doing? They weren't keeping anything to themselves. They were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Much like James Irwin. And I trust much like every single one of us. The glory of God seen. John chapter 1 verse 14. It doesn't stop when it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John went on to say, And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when it says here, glory as of the only Son from the Father, you've heard me say this before, many of you. Please understand, when we talk about Jesus as God's Son, we're not saying that Jesus is God Jr. Jesus is fully God. Son of God is just a way of expressing the way of the Trinity and the way that the members of the Trinity relate to one another. Jesus, fully God. When Jesus came to the planet, God came to the planet. And that's really, again, the message of Christmas. The glory of the Lord, that's His sum total. It's the weight of God's attributes and His essence. His glory can be shown and seen in many ways. His glory is above the heavens. It's over all the earth. We, we went through Scriptures last week and we saw over and over again, the glory of God is everywhere. It's simply up to us to recognize it and then to point others to that awareness and to that recognition. God's glory was seen in the things that He has made. That's natural revelation. It was put on display in a spectacular way when the Lord Jesus came to the planet. That's special revelation. James Irwin saw God's glory in the heavens, and he knows His glory in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' glory, and this is the point for this morning, Jesus' glory is the same glory as God the Father because Jesus and God the Father are one and the same God. We looked at a lot of Scripture last week that exalted God, the glory of God, but it's also the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're one and the same. If you'll turn with me to John 12 for just a few moments, John chapter 12 We'll pick up at verse 37.
This is one of the sad episodes in Jesus' ministry here on the earth. It says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said, and this is a key verse, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. He saw his glory and spoke of him. And that's something that's very, very significant. Isaiah, seeing these things, he saw the glory of God. And now Isaiah is being quoted by John, and this same glory is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you still carry an NIV study Bible with you. There's a study note on this verse, verse 41. And it says, Isaiah spoke primarily of the glory of God. You may remember Isaiah 6, 3, for example. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. John spoke of the glory of Jesus and made no basic distinction between the two, attesting Jesus' oneness with God. The thought of glory here is complex, the note goes on to say. There is the idea of majesty, and there is also the idea, which meant so much to John, that Jesus' death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection and exaltation show his real glory. Simple point being made. All the time we see the glory of God mentioned in the Scriptures, it's talking about the glory of Jesus. But when we come to the New Testament, John in particular, the glory of Jesus is given to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Some of the greatest words imaginable are said there about the Lord Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He's as powerful in creation as God the Father. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You'll see that expression later on too. The majesty, talking about the Father. And there there Jesus is at the right hand of the majesty on high. Some absolutely fantastic scriptures about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's glory was displayed in Jesus when he was on earth. That may seem like a very simple point, but that's what Christmas is really all about. God's glory was displayed in Jesus when he was on earth. Jesus wanted to be sure his disciples saw that glory. Now, supposing you as a family member had a very important message you wanted to get to someone else in the family. You wanted to be sure they wouldn't miss it, but you weren't going to see them in the next day or two. Just your schedules were not so that that would happen. So how can you make sure that the husband to the wife, that she gets this message, or the the parents to the children, or the children to the parents. How will that happen? Well, you could text everyone in the family. Thanks, Greg. You could text everybody in the family and make sure that they get it that way. Um, Or that could have been your email you were holding up to, so we'll give you credit for two of them. Um, You could email that to everybody in the family or on their phones or on their computers. You could put it on some form of social media to make sure that they would get it because for some in the family, that's 
probably the best way to get their attention. They'd find it there sooner than even if they were home and you talked to them. You could put it on the refrigerator, as some do. It's a sure thing they're going to open the refrigerator before too many minutes go by when you're not there with them. Some people put it on the bathroom mirror. You could put it on their plate at the table. You could find a prominent spot. You could hang it on a string from the ceiling so that they'd have to walk under it and almost like cobwebs be hit by, hit by it. But Jesus had an important message to share with his disciples and those who would follow. He had a very important message, and the message was his glory. How did he show it? And he showed it in a lot of ways. One of the ways he showed it was at the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that story where the Lord Jesus took three of his disciples up into the mount, and he was joined by two prominent Old Testament individuals. And it tells us a little bit about that story in Luke chapter 9, verse 32. It tells us there, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. I hope that's not describing any of you who are here with us this morning. Is there anybody here heavy with sleep? Um, It's early in the message. Give, give Give it a chance. But in this case, Peter and the disciples got that way from time to time. They were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him, Moses and Elijah. They saw his glory. Now, what was that? Well, it was demonstrated in a physical way. Spiritual realities often are done that way. But they saw his glory. The appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. In fact, we're told that whiter than anyone on the earth could ever bleach them. Sounds like a TV commercial. But whiter than anybody could bleach his clothes. They were dazzling white. In, in Matthew's account, it says his face shone like the sun. Can you imagine that? They couldn't even look at it for more than a second without blinding themselves. Luke says, bright as a flash of lightning. So if you can picture what is going on here, the Lord Jesus wanted to show off his glory. Well, if he wanted to, he left an indelible impression on Peter, James, and John when he did that at the Mount of Transfiguration. So much so that Peter later was to write about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He put it this way. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We understand that from this account, he's talking about the transfiguration. He saw and recognized the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wanted to leave a message with his disciples. He left that message loudly and clearly. He received honor and glory from God the Father, from the majestic glory. The next verse goes on to say, we ourselves heard and we can, and and this is my paraphrase, he says, but we can even do better than our eyewitness account of that because we have the witness of the prophets. We have special revelation. We have God's word that told us all about Jesus and his glory as well. So to Peter, 
Peter was right there. He saw and he heard. Can you imagine being there at the transfiguration? Being blinded by a face that looked like the sun or like lightning and by these dazzling white clothes and the voice coming from heaven and Moses and Elijah being there with him. Can you imagine that message? Well, it sunk in with Peter. And he says, but you know what? We can even do better than that. We've got the prophets who have written about him as well. We've got God's actual word. And that's even better than our senses when we were able to perceive what was going on. God's glory displayed in Jesus when he was here on earth at the Mount of Transfiguration, also in Jesus' miracles. Jesus didn't do his miracles to show off. He didn't do them capriciously. They were purposeful. They were signs, John tells us. And one of those signs we see in John chapter 11, verse 4. Immediately, those of you that know your Bible know we're talking about Lazarus here. They had come up to Jesus and said, Lazarus is ill. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Lazarus were friends of Jesus. And that upset the disciples. But here's what Jesus said in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And that's exactly what would happen. The Son of God would be glorified through that illness of Lazarus. Those of you that are struggling with long-term illness or you've got relatives who are, there are a lot of reasons for it. One of those reasons may very well be this is for the glory of God. And what God does in that life or in your life when you're going through that is something that will draw other people to him. You have an exalted role in illness, and that's one of the reasons. There are a lot of other reasons for illness. So in Jesus' miracles, incidentally, the end of the story, after Lazarus had been raised from the dead, the Lord Jesus had a little bit more to say. And this, in verse 40, Jesus said to Martha, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And that's exactly what was seen, the glory of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 2, verse 11, back to the first miracle that Jesus performed here on this planet, it says there, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. He manifested his glory. He showed his glory in turning water to wine. And the disciples believed in him as a result of that. God's glory displayed in Jesus when he was here on earth at the Mount of Transfiguration, in Jesus' miracles, in Jesus' death. And certainly we have to include his resurrection in that. In John chapter 17, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. A mutual glorification society between the Father and the Son, which we see over and over and over again. The glory of one is the glory of the other. God's glory displayed in Jesus when he was on earth and the sum total of their experience with Jesus. We read John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. This is John writing. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw His glory, but they didn't just catch a glimpse of His glory. 
they didn't just see it and it was gone when Jesus was here on the planet. That was one instance. But here, later on, if you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John now, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, as Peter was impacted by the glory of the Lord Jesus, John is as well. And John writes about what was going on. The disciples were able to see this glory firsthand. And just to give us some idea of their senses that were involved in everything that went on with Jesus. First John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard... Please note all of these words that have to do with our senses. We have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen, there it is again, and heard, there it is again, we proclaim also to you. When somebody sees the majesty, the glory of the Lord Jesus, it is worth telling. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, the Lord Jesus constantly showing His glory while He was here on earth. And it was being witnessed by His disciples. And it went on and on from there. Problem. We read this also in John's account. Others didn't see Jesus' glory, unfortunately. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. A man by the name of Craig Larson is the editor of Preaching Today, to which I subscribed wrote this story about his wife, brief account. said, the first summer that my wife and I were dating, she worked as a temp at a bank. In the first two weeks that she had the job, she quickly noticed some extremely unprofessional behavior among the team of four people that she worked with and their supervisor. The supervisor, who was a generation older, was very friendly with the younger staff, taking long coffee breaks with them. College-age staff would sit on her desk to chat and gossip. The supervisor and her team were so friendly that the group's behavior toward one, one other new member of the team was a stark contrast. This person, a woman in her 30s, who had come on staff just a week before my wife, was shunned. If she walked up and tried to join the conversation during a coffee break, the conversation ended. The group, including the supervisor, made jokes about her behind her back, and laughed at the way she dressed. They rolled their eyes and winked at each other when she was present. It was obvious that she was perceived as an unnecessary intrusion. Two weeks into the temp job, my wife walked into the office on Monday morning and was surprised to find a much different scenario. No gossiping, no kidding around, no long coffee breaks. All the workers had their eyes riveted on their work. The previous supervisor had been replaced. The cliquish team addressed the new supervisor with formal, business-like respect. 
My wife thought she even saw fear in their eyes. The new supervisor was not a stranger. It was the 30-something woman who had been shunned and mocked. It turned out the bank had hired her to be the new supervisor from the first day she came on the job three weeks before. But the bank had concealed her true identity so she could observe the work style of the team. Kind of like undercover boss. Um, Big time undercover boss. In some ways, he goes on to say, this situation resembles the coming of Christ to earth. In the first coming, Jesus Christ revealed his true identity and glory to his true followers. But to those who did not believe, his glory was largely hidden by his humanity. Following his resurrection, Christ ascended to the right hand of God where he rules all things. One day he is coming again to the earth to establish his glorious kingdom over everything. At that time, there will be no mistaking who is in charge. God's glory was displayed when Jesus was on the planet. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But some did. As many as received him to them, he gave you the power to become children of God. That's the, the good news part of it. More good news, God's glory is displayed in Jesus, not just when he was on the planet, but even right now. Many scriptures, God wants us to be aware of Jesus' glory now. This is not a once upon a time story of Jesus' glory. His glory is displayed right now. In Luke chapter 24, verse 26, Was it not necessary, Jesus talked to the two people on the, two men on the road to Emmaus, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? His glory was something that had taken place when He was on the earth prior to the crucifixion, but it was after the crucifixion. John 16, 14, Jesus said, He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. John 17, verses 4 and 5, Jesus is praying to his Father. And he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus' glory was not limited to any time or place. It has been forever. It was before this planet was created. It was during the time Jesus came to the planet. It was after that time. Glorify me, Father, he said, with the glory I used to have. Now glorify me, make that continue. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. And Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Not only does God's glory continue after the time he went back to heaven, but God's glory is going to be displayed in Jesus when he comes again. When he comes again, not if he comes again, but when he comes again, God's glory again displayed in the person of the Lord Jesus. Many scriptures again 
And uh, I appreciate your patience as I'm going through a lot of them very quickly right now. Matthew 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31, Then He will appear in heaven, excuse me, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Revelation chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, talk about might and honor and glory and blessing, wealth and power that the Lord Jesus will get. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Remember that heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 5 when we've got all of creation ascribing praise and worship to the Lord Jesus. Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It's absolutely everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But is it something that we, having seen, we know about, that we're sharing with people? We can't add to God's glory. We can't add to Jesus' glory, but we can point to it. What a great time at Christmas. We talked about triggers a lot. We talked about triggers, the word Noel, now all is well. Every time we see that, think about that, that no fear, God is with us. The word glory triggered once again to the glory of God as we hear it in the anthems, as we, we're going to hear it in a, in a few moments. We're going to hear it a lot of times, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 17. In John chapter 17. Again, in that same prayer, Jesus is talking to his Father. And now he says, I am praying for them, his disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, in his disciples. They're able to point to his glory. But then it goes a little step further. John 17, as that prayer continues in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, these his disciples at that time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's most of us, if not all of us, who are in this room right now and other believers in Christ. And he's praying for us. Why is he praying for us? What's he praying for us? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Do you know what he's saying there? There's glory to him in our unity with each other. The way that we love each other, the way we, we relate to each other, there's glory to Christ in that. Glory triggering thoughts of Jesus during the Christmas season, whenever we hear those words, glory to God in the highest, or glory in excelsis Deo. Let that trigger the thoughts, the thoughts of the glory that belongs to Jesus and that glory that we know about. And so we can go tell that on the mountain whenever we hear that one, another good trigger for us. Heavenly Father, the glory of the Lord Jesus in evidence, in nature, 
You taught us that all through your scriptures, in nature, in our consciences, the glory of the Lord Jesus in the special revelation, in your word, in the person of the Lord Jesus, displayed over and over and over again. Help each one of us not to take that glory, reflect on that, so that we ourselves are the only ones who receive a blessing, but to be able to tell that on the mountain and to share that with others. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.